Welcome to Dream Big with Big Dreamers, conversations for career growth, inspiration, and insight, hosted by Donna Sardula and yours truly, Scott Jones. Here are the inspiring stories that shape the careers of top executives, entrepreneurs, and professionals. These empowering discussions offer guidance and advice as you advance in your career. It's time to dream big. Hey there, Scott. Donna, it's always great to see you. It's always great to see you as well. I am back from vacation, and let me just tell you, no good vacation goes unpunished. It's like I'm back and I don't know what to do. There's so many things in front of me. I think you colored your hair too or something. There's something different with your hair. You've got a it looks fantastic. But well, I mean, you, thank you. You know what it is? It's my tan. It's my tan. It's a summer hair kind of thing. It's you, you look great. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, I will say that you have been spending even more time on Clubhouse. Like before, like before the last podcast you said you were you were like getting involved. You are pinging me at all hours of the day. You're always oh, 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 on yeah. Clubhouse. Like, do you go out and eat? I, I, you know, it's funny. Like, I'm, I'm summering in New York, and I am not getting much New York City experience because I'm in Clubhouse all the time. And the times I've gone out have been to meet people I've met on Clubhouse. So this is my theory on why this app is successful, okay? So let's think we're dreaming big. These must be big dreamers because... Twitter offered them $4 billion, and they said no. Um, and and it's really strange about this app is it spoils your real-life experiences because you go to a party or something, and there's maybe, you know, how many parties have you been to where there's no one you want to talk with? And in Clubhouse, you can bump around and get in, into these rooms where people are talking about all manner of things. Hmm. I'm now trying to think of how can we transition this information back to our guest. <laughs> and my brain is like clinking here because I'm like, okay, well, she's a leadership coach. She's a strategic executive career and leadership coach. She works with people who feel stuck. She works with people who, uh, and I'm almost wondering, maybe she needs to work with the, uh, the, the, the leaders of Clubhouse to really figure out she could take Clubhouse what their vision is. To the next level. Brenda, what would you advice like let's say you're talking with the people in clubhouse and they've got this big app they've got 30 million people or whatever which is still like not that's only 10 percent of the u.s population it's successful but like you know you start an app like this to do like world domination kind of thing right like what would you say to somebody that had an app that had 30 million people that wanted to go and be the next facebook like how would you advise them Oh, I wish I knew the answer to that. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I think, you know, you're right. They have one of two plans, you know, for for good or for evil. Um, where I go with that, which is potentially a downer, is that my world uh, is, is my client base are people who are unhappy at work. And so Clubhouse could be a real distraction. Yeah. So, you know, some of it could be learning, which I think is an antidepressant when we learn new things. I think it uh, has all those good chemicals in our brain. Uh, and it's certainly neurologically making good things happen in your brain, right? You're really enjoying it and getting a lot out of it. Scott is totally pumped about this. He, yeah. he's, he's loving Clubhouse, too. And I'm almost, a I would, I'm going to say, I think you're addicted, Scott. I think 
Oh, I am. It's CA, Clubhouse Anonymous. We need need to to get Scott unstuck, Brenda, because you you work with two different types of clients, all right? So you work with professionals in high-level careers who feel overwhelmed, burnt out, and trapped by their circumstances. So, but they want to consider a career change or explore their options, or you work with these leaders and executives who are hungry for a new approach to managing their time and their team and the stress of having too much to do. I am thinking Scott might feel <laughs> stuck in Clubhouse and we've got to bring him back into the real world to re-experience life and not to feel so disappointed because not everyone's a great conversationalist. Well, Scott has to has to think he has a problem <laughs> before we do. <laughs> Brenda, but you know, like you you said earlier about Clubhouse being you know a, a platform for training and, and teaching, and when I looked at your LinkedIn profile and I went th- through, I mean, you've been in training almost your entire yes. career, whether it was sales training or or like. I, and I have to ask you this: like when I think of trainers, I think of people who are really peppy and who are really enthusiastic. <laughs> Were you a cheerleader in high school? I was not a cheerleader, but I was a very peppy, outgoing sales trainer. Absolutely. (laughs) I basically, you know, was very practical, but I performed for eight or nine hours straight every time I delivered a workshop. So uh, I do not miss that. Were you in theater in high school or what, like high school culture? Like what group were you in? No, like, you know what? I was not. What happened to me, I had, I grew up very meager means. My parents were immigrants from the island of Malta. They immigrated in the 50s and I grew up, I was born in the 60s. And um, I stumbled upon sales. And it was the only thing that I was just really good at. What, what did your parents do? So they, 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 they came to America. What were they doing? My dad worked for Ford Motor Company, as many immigrants did. In, and in the factory? In the factory? In the factory. Installing? Yeah. Like, uh, you know, sun visors and things like that? I think it was like a uh, vinyl, in the vinyl plant, mm-hmm. on the line. And my mother stayed home with seven kids. Seven kids? Wow. So, right? She wasn't busy. <laughs> oh my God. It's funny because I'm so against seven kids for myself. I have one kid, and uh, but I'm you know I'm not too sorry because I was the sixth. <laughs> so, so so you get into sales now. I got into sales. My father was in sales, and and I. It's crazy that I got into sales because I saw the ugly side of sales. I saw mm-hmm. that high pressure. I saw that that need to hit the quota and. And just how gut-wrenching sales can be. And also, and I always think of uh, that Frank Sinatra song, you know, the one like, you know, you're you're up and over and out and, you, you know, yeah. you know, and it's, it's the idea of you're flying high in April, you know, what was it, yeah. drop down in May or however the lyrics go. But it's so true because that quota keeps resetting. So you're constant. it's like Sisyphus. You know, trying to roll that boulder. So, like, what attracted you to that? I don't know what, I mean, there's there's certainly a love for it. But at the same time, what attracted you? Well, I think I, I, I never, I never did sales the skanky way kind of thing. I had that very early on. Um, I would do kind of a needs analysis and, um, and, and what 
grew out of that. I had very successful teams, very young in my 20s, although what people do in their 20s now is just makes me embarrassed about what I think was so accomplished in my 20s. Um, but I had these successful teams, and then I realized everyone was making it harder than it had to be. So after, I, when I was 29, I had the gift of being fired. And um, <laughs> just for- When you were fired? Were you, for personality were you, reasons, not not performance. Oh my gosh, were you sad yeah. or were you like, thank God? I it was it was liberation for me. So for those of and, you and who are listeners, they, what, did, what did they list as your personality problem? Were you too pushy? Well, were you too aggressive? I was were you very shy? assertive, and okay. I had a um, mansplaining, sexual harassy boss. Wow. Oh, I and, bet you got along real well with him. <laughs> and I would literally say things to him like, I think you would be better suited elsewhere. You're not very good at your job. So you can imagine the pleasure he had in firing me. <laughs> uh, but that was really the last real job I had. I, I, I fell in love with being an entrepreneur and uh, training people, some version of training my entire remainder up until now career. What do you get out of it? Ah, well, I used to get a different thing out of it when it was audiences, right? There is a part of you that when you're at the front of the room that is very stimulating and you love that adulation and power and that kind of thing. And then when I shifted to one-on-one -on -one coaching completely by accident, I fell in love with the non-presence of me, right? With the, the irrelevance of my presence, but just holding that presence for somebody else and helping them have realizations. And for anybody who's done one-on-one -on -one work, it's so powerful once you kind of know how to do it. So that's what I get out of it. You know, I'm looking and I'm thinking, it's kind of a ballsy move, you know, to dream big, to go, all right, I'm done with being an employee. I'm tired of padding other people's pockets and I'm going off on my own. Did you have a mentor? Did you, like, what kind of gave you the idea that you could do it? I went to this, well, two things happened. I went to this class at like a community college while I was still employed. And it was like entrepreneurial 101 or something. And it was this cutest little instructor who I'm still friends with on Facebook. And it was like the basics of having your own business. And there was something in my brain that was like ding, 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 ding. Uh, and then two of my employees, so I was in my late 20s, and two of my employees who were in their late 40s pulled me aside and said, seriously, you're really good at this whole training thing and you need to get out of here. And then I was fired shortly after. So I did have that, that was sort of a mentoring for me, um, you know, to have that enlightened outsider say, you know, you, you're, you're destined for bigger things. I mean, I think getting fired, right, like is a traumatic experience. It's like, you know, like a divorce or a breakup or something you know like or failing at a school or something it, i mean these things were like it's just all of us are insecure i think mm -hmm. um and it's just this it's like the insecure buzzer going ding 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 so how did you kind of go okay look i got fired but i'm not a failure like how did you kind of 
work through the emotional process of getting fired and catapult yourself to greater success? Like, did you like? Was there a transition period? Did you have to kind of go for long walks? Did you binge <laughs> on ice cream? You All know, where you thing. hang out in cheap in cheap <laughs> gin bars or like what? What got what got you through? Um, this 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 hard thing. Yeah. To to get to a place of real accomplishment. Well, pretty much like everything, I did it the hard way. I used to say that it takes four years to get over getting fired. Well, that's a long time. It took me four years. So I was just filled with rage, basically. Uh, And uh, it took me four years. I would see him at conferences and whatnot and just, just seethe. And so as a result of that, though, I've created a process that I help my clients kind of recover more quickly because it happens all the time. It happens to good people who are highly qualified. Sometimes it's political and you do have to process and work through it in a in a very, um, a very intentional way. Uh, because our culture wants you to just get over it and be positive and move on to the next thing. And that's what your family and friends will tell you. You know, just let it go. But it is a, as you said, it is a serious, serious hit to your, uh, your confidence and your sense of security. I always think of that one saying, um, when one door closes, another one opens. And, and I, I really do think, so for so many people, that they overstay at jobs. Mm -hmm. I mean, they just overstay. They get really comfortable and they don't move and they stop growing and they start to take root. And, and I find that when either they're laid off or they're fired, it's usually a good thing. It Mm -hmm. it really is. And a lot of people have a hard time seeing it as a good thing. Yeah. But in almost all the situations I've, you know, when I, you know, I deal with my clients and my, my, in my own, you know, experience, like, thank goodness, you know, you weren't meant to be there anymore. This yeah. is this is the universe giving you that push that you need that you couldn't do on your own. Do you, do yeah. you feel that way? Absolutely. And I think the overstaying is a huge component. You know, they've pretty much stopped, you know, uh, taking care of their network. And, um, and they're saying things to me initially when they meet me. You know, I'm just going to gut it out you know, five more years or three more years or, and that is just such a red flag for me that they have overstayed and that, you know, it's just like the podcast where you had the divorce attorney and she said the biggest issue that kills a marriage, right, is apathy. Brenda, you know, that keeps going on in my, ever since we had that call with with Susan, I think of that all the time, that apathy. And yeah. it's, it, it's it's so insidious and it's not just yes. marriage it's so right. many places i think it's one of the most dangerous emotions that we can have i mean it should make us go oh, i don't care about my marriage or oh, i don't care about my job or my team it should alarm us and doesn't it it sneaks up on you that's mm-hmm. the, and i think those are the people who are coming into you like they, they it takes them a long time to realize and all of a sudden all they know is they're stuck and they yes. don't know how they got here Yes, and their loved ones have told them to get a career coach or go to therapy. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hard thing because a lot of times we have these blind spots and like, 
we're so blind. We don't even see the blind spot. We don't know. You of know, course. Like, how, now, how do you do that? How do you deal with that? I mean, are, do you find that people's blind spots are obvious to everyone but them? Or do you have to work hard to sort of like peel back that onion? The way that I like to put it is the thing that is your obstacle, either you're not getting interviews or you're not getting offers or you're, uh, you're not getting promoted. The thing that you think it is, is not it. It's something else. Let's find that something else, right? So an easy one is if they're over 40, they think it's their age, they're being aged out. And usually they're not. They're vital, they have experience, the company wants to hire grownups, um, but it's something else. Maybe they're, you know, I'm trying to think of a, a non-swear word for a-hole. <laughs> 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 a jerk. <laughs> yeah, maybe they're uh, you know very difficult or overcomplicate things or political or mean. What, what, what did you go to? Did you go to college? I did. I actually went to very unsexy, the University of Phoenix. Oh, so so you went later then, and you I did it online. Well, no, my parents died very when I was very young, so I was like an orphan, and I worked full time and put myself through college at University of Phoenix. So what did you, what was your degree in? Business. B business administration. Yeah. yeah. So Brenda, do you have any hobbies, anything outside of work that you love? I would say food. Food, yeah. Of which on her LinkedIn profile, her headline, it says foodie, which I love. <laughs> I'm all for putting those. I learned uh, how to do my LinkedIn headline from you. Thank Thank you. Well, um, what kind yeah, of a foodie are you? Food. Well, I love to feed people. And so, uh, like, we're having 35 people on Sunday, and every spare minute I get, I'm mapping out how the buffet is going to be lined up and the what food and recipes. And I just, I, I love food-related entertainment. I, I love it. I, I, do you have any, who's like, who's an influencer right now or who inspires you? Is there someone out there that you're like really uh, finding fascinating and, and learning from? Well, I'm pretty obsessed with Tim Ferriss and everything he does. I just think, wow, what a thought leader. He curates such fascinating, interesting, always good stuff, his books and whatnot. Uh, do you have a four hour work week? <laughs> I was so blown away by that book many years ago. And I knew that I wasn't going to have a four-hour work week, but I got so many good ideas. It just, I think, if you give your brain a little bit of food, it can make all kinds of connections that are more relevant for your life and your work. So, uh, yeah, I think that's why it's so important to read and listen. And uh, even if it's on Clubhouse, to put yourself in a learning <laughs> Well, and, that, and that's, but what you just said is, is kind of the idea here of this podcast. It's like, I want people to take just, you know, 30 minutes and listen to someone who's, who's had success and who's having fun, who's enjoying their life and, and, you know, take away something, you know, from that. Any other influencers that you like? Uh, also Brene Brown, um, Greg McEwen, who wrote Essentialism, that's probably my favorite business book to buy for people, and I reread it. And um, I've never heard of my that top one. Three. 
Oh, I've never heard of that one. I'm going to have to put that one on my list. It's so funny because I buy it for my clients and back when we were in person and I would go to their offices like six months later and it would still be sitting on the desk untouched. And I would say, you're going to really like that book. And then they send me pictures of paragraphs that are underlined like, oh my God. So I think it's revelational about priorities, not necessarily time management, but priorities. It's very good. <laughs> well, I, I will say this. I, I, I have known Brenda now for probably about a year, I guess. Mm -hmm. And she is the real thing. She's awesome. Yeah. I talk to a lot of people in this business and you, I admire you, and I, I really am always impressed with the things that you're doing, and your book is awesome. Uh, thank you so much, and I feel exactly the same way, and recommend your book and your work all the time, and I just think the podcast is very cool. It's, it's, so, it's our clubhouse. It's our clubhouse. <laughs> but it's very exclusive. It's only the three of us. <laughs> So Brenda, when so tell us what's what's your next dream? What's how are you dreaming big right now? Do you have something in the works? Something that you're thinking about? And then how then then how can people contact you to work with you? Well, um, where I'm dreaming now is that I have the life and work that I want. I do almost nothing that I don't want to do, and so I have wonderful clients that I have vetted, that have vetted me. And so I'm in a really good place. Uh, the easiest way to reach me is outsmartingcrazytown.com because that just takes you right to my website. And um, I, I'm on Instagram and LinkedIn, of course. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you both. This was utterly delightful. Thanks, Scott. Very nice to connect. Bye-bye. Thanks okay, for bye. listening to Dream Big with Big Dreamers. If you like the show, please do us a favor. Go into iTunes and write a review and give us a rating or share it with a friend via social media or email if you think they'd benefit from these conversations. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Until then, keep dreaming big.